My name is Anthony Capazzoli. I am the host of the Dismantle Life podcast and I'm a recovering alcoholic and drug addict after nearly 40 years of addiction. I've been clean and sober for nearly four years and work hard to help others find recovery. Join me each episode to learn from my sober superhero guests and how they went from the darkness of addiction into the sunlight of recovery. Dismantled Life can be found on Digitent Podcasts, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. But I'm excited to have you on, dude. Listen, I checked you out a little bit and uh, I'm dying to hear your story, man. I'm a big, big fan of what you're doing, how you're doing it, and you know, you're, you're, you're doing a lot of cool things and you you personally know someone that I have always, you know, wanted to meet, which is the great Tony Robbins. So that's <laughs> pretty cool, man. Oh man. Have you ever gone to one of his events? I, I, you know, I haven't yet, but I will. And he just seems to be the kind of guy that you would just soak up the energy and just change your life. Like in person, I can't even imagine. I listen to the podcast and you know, I actively follow and read his books and stuff, but to meet him in person must be quite a thing. It's next level, man. Like his ability to to shift your perspective and to give you insights about yourself so that you can ultimately make deci- make different decisions to ultimately create a different life. Dude, I've never seen anything like it. His energy is just like, oh my yeah. God. He, dude, he, he literally comes into a stadium, 15,000 people, and every single person is like going bonkers. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah dude, it's... It just like I dig everything he does, and all the what I love too is he gives back so 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 much. With I don't know how many meals he puts out on an annual. He just basis. hit a billion. He just hit a billion meals. I got the the message uh, yesterday. He hit a billion meals, dude. He gave out. Jesus, that's just see. I love that kind of stuff, man. I, I, and I'm a fan. Like I listened to. We'll get into this later, but a lot of my recovery um, when I, you know. Uh, Awakening the Giant Within, I read the book and it really helped me. I watch a lot of videos and a lot of like uh, um, the YouTube stuff, the motivational stuff where people pluck from lots of great speakers and he's always in the mix. And uh, he's one of the people that I lean into and kind of in my mind is a, like a, a, a private and personal mentor of mine. I've never met him, so I couldn't say that he's a mentor really, but uh, just one of those things, man. So I'm excited to have you on and I'm so glad that your team reached out. Yeah. Thank you so much, brother. The honor's mine, dude. Like I love what you're doing. Like you're, you're giving me a platform to get my story out there and allow me to serve more people. And, you know, it, it's interesting. You're, you're talking about Tony cause he, he teaches like the, the, the gift of, of living is giving. And so some of the stuff that you're seeing me do is a direct reflection of being in proximity of him yeah. And so I've designed a life and I've modeled a life that's that emulates what he's done. You know, I'm only four and a half years into my journey on, on this new version of Ryan. I mean, he's been doing this for 40 years. So yeah. it's it's a beautiful journey, man. Thank you so much for, for having me, though. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. And uh, so you're, you're are you in you're in are you in Boca? Are you so in I live in Delray, so I'm I'm maybe like a like a mile from Boca. So. Okay, cool. Because I'm up in the Panhandle. I'm up in Navarre, Florida, between okay. Destin and Pensacola. So uh, when I saw that you're down in Florida and kind of near where Tony lives, I guess I, yeah. I don't really know, but I know he's down that way. Uh, it's pretty cool. So, but but what I want to learn more about really uh, is is what you're doing in in your story and your journey, and you know how you got here. And that's my favorite thing about the show is. You know, I'm almost five years recovered from alcohol, cocaine, and nicotine, and I do the work every day. You know, I'm not a 12-stepper. Thank you very much. 
Um, but you, you know, I'm recovery agnostic and I want people to follow the path towards their recovery, whatever that might be. I, I don't prescribe to one over another. Uh, and what I try to accomplish with the show is letting people hear other stories so that they are not, they don't feel alone and that they know that there's hope, that there's light at the end of the tunnel and you can live in the sunshine, no matter how bad you think it is. Uh, you know, people come and share their journey and, and all the great things that they're doing. So I'm, I would love you to tell us a little bit about you and, you know, why you came on the show to share your story. Yeah. Thank you so much, man. And so, uh, you know, growing up was very difficult. You know, when I was five years old, my sister passed away and it just devastated my family. Um, you know, my mother and father ended up splitting and, you know, my, my father turned to alcohol my mother turned to drugs. <clears throat> and so, very early on, it was it was a, adopting all these addictive personalities and behaviors and really being completely confused and, and not really understanding, like, what's going on. You know, here I am adopting this belief of, like, I'm not good enough because yeah. they continue to pass me around to my grandparents' house or, you know, my mother was you know, seeing other men and, and you know, my father was working all the time. And, and so the story that I was telling myself at that time is, is nobody cares about me. I'm not important. And... And, and I just started to rebel, you know, at, at a very young age, um, you know, disobeying in school. And, you know, the, the last grade I finished was, was seventh grade. Um, I'm a seventh grade dropout. And um, I started using drugs and alcohol at age 11. I was introduced to drugs and alcohol by my mother. And so that's when my addiction actually started was was 11 years old. I mean, I think the addiction was, was starting prior to that, yeah. but really kind of you know, coming into full steam at, at age 11, which is wild because dude, I, I look at 11 year olds today and I'm like, I can't even wrap my head around seeing these kids or girls or whoever at, at, you know, at 11 years old. And I'm like, wow, that was my life. That is, uh, it's crazy, right? I have a 10 year old and I'm thinking in my head right now, add one year. And from your story that, that just kind of gives me the shivers, man. Um, but look at you now, dude. Like that's the thing. Uh, but but I agree. Like something you said. Like the the stories that we tell ourselves and the negative energy that we give ourselves and what we believe in. Like the internal voice means so much. And for me, I know that I had to change everything, and that was a big part of my change. And I still struggle with it. Once in a while, if I'm having a bad day or a couple days, and not just itching to do, you know, drinking and drugging, but sometimes you just get you kind of feel like shit sometimes and you don't really know why, at least I do. And I can hear that voice. You, you feel bad because you suck. You feel bad because you're a piece <laughs> of shit and it's in there, man. And I got to like fight it out. And I do, um, you know, I go to CrossFit every day and I have these positive routines and I get up at the same time every day and I have to stick to that. And if I don't, and if I, if I deviate without a positive deviation, meaning life gets in the way in a good way, kids need something that's different. But I, I know what you mean, dude, like that negative kind of talk. It's really, for me as an addict, the hardest thing to have gotten over and stay above. Like if, if there's a way to do that, and I'm, I'm not being cocky, I, I, you have to, I have to do the work. I'm not one of those people that while I'm recovered, it's, uh, I'm not that guy. <laughs> so I get it, dude. And, and something that you said that, that, that sticks out for me is, you know, the, the human mind has about 65 to 70,000 thoughts a day. And about 85% of those thoughts happen to be negative thoughts. And then about 90% of those negative thoughts happen to be repetitive thoughts. And so we ask ourselves, like, why is this going on? 
Well, our unconscious brain is designed to do one thing, which is keep us alive. And so its job is to scan the horizon and find what's wrong in every situation so that it can ultimately protect us or keep us alive, so to speak. And so you're absolutely correct. It, it, it's actual practical application. You have to actually, you know, it starts off with, with, with your body. You mentioned it. You go to CrossFit, you work out. You have to shock the nervous system. You have to break that pattern, right? And then the second thing is, is what you're focused on. You know, what you focus on, you feel. So if I'm focusing on negative, then I'm going to feel negative. If I'm focusing on positive. I'm going to feel positive. And then the third thing that has to change is the language and the meaning you're giving it, right? Like our brains are meaning making mechanisms. So as soon as something happens, our brain is designed to give it a meaning, attach a meaning to it. And then there's the language that follows, like, what are we saying about others? What are we saying about ourselves? And so the ability to, in a moment's time, shift your, 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 your physiology, you have to have a, a, a radical change in your physiology, which will break the pattern and then start focusing on what you can control, start focusing on what is true. And then all of a sudden change the language of the meaning that you're giving it and you'll have a completely different experience in life. And so that's something that I've practiced and I continue to practice, which is something that Tony has taught me. I love that, dude. One of the things that uh, I was stuck on and I still find myself stuck on from time to time. Uh, and, but after this, I'd like to go back to when you were 11 and kind of pick up your journey from there. Sure. Uh, and I, I find myself almost settling in my mind. This is as good as it's going to get. This is all I can achieve. This is all that my destiny will allow. Um, I'm, so it's weird. It, it sounds crazy to people listening that maybe don't come from an addict background or, or don't understand that. But I, for me, uh, I feel like sometimes I'm caught in that negative cycle where I feel like I'm doing better than so-and-so in my family or what I was doing before. Therefore, I've peaked and that I'm stuck there, even though I know that's crazy. If you look at it logically, that's insane. But that that's the hardest part of the hamster wheel for me to fix is that that not necessarily negative speak, but I'm going to call it settling with where I'm at speak. So I try to push hard, but not so hard where I become an addict in the push too. So this the balancing act thing for me gets to be a little bit tough. And I know we'll come back around to that um, unless you want to address it now, but I'd love to hear more about your story. Yeah, no, no problem. And I, and I don't think it's crazy. I think what you're saying is, is normal, right? It's the human experience. And, and for me, what I've had to learn was who I'm surrounding myself with, right? Like proximity is everything. The human mind is designed to look for evidence to support its belief systems. Yeah. So if your evidence, if your belief system is like, hey, I'm good enough. And then you look around the people that are around you and they're also saying the same thing, then your mind is going to be like, you're, you're right where you're supposed to be. So for me, really stretching myself, putting myself in an environment. One was going to Tony Robbins. I've done 30 events at this point over the last four and a half wow, years. Wow, dude, that's amazing. <laughs> Bro, I'm, I'm an addict. So you, you can see that. <laughs> yeah. right? I want more. Yeah, get more is always better. That's awesome. <laughs> Once too many, thousands never enough. So yeah, dude, like that, that was a huge shift for me, man. And then, then I started adopting other people's beliefs and I started to model what they were doing. And then all of a sudden I started to see my life change and then I saw something that was possible. So yeah, back to 11, I, um, you know, my mother, you know, it's, you know, some of the, the most challenging times I've been through happened to be some of the most magical moments in my life. And, and this may sound crazy to any listeners or even you. So the first real traumatic experience I had was, I was nine years old. 
Um, I, I walked home from school. I came into the house and my father was drinking in the kitchen and he looks at me and he says, your mother was just shot. And I don't think she's going to live. And I was like, what? Wow. You know, it was devastating. And I went to my bedroom and I remember that was the first time that I considered committing suicide or considered like I didn't want to live anymore. I just didn't understand, you know, one, because I wanted her love so much. And in and, and my mind, in my story at the time was like, she didn't love me and she chose to leave the family and she she's not taking care of me. And so she ended up living from that incident, incidents. And, you know, fast forward about 12 to 13 months, which is right before I used for the first time, she she was stabbed 13 times by the same man. And so you're probably asking yourself, like, what the hell is going on here? And to even think, like, why would you go back? You know, and, and that's what I was asking. Like, mom, why are you doing this? Like, I don't understand. And so that's actually when I made the decision to live with my mother, which was around age 11. And so those two traumatic experiences devastated me so much. I made the decision at that time that I have to be the one to take care of my mom. I have to be the one to protect her. And I didn't know how. So I thought being around her or being near her was the solution. And she was an active drug user. And so she introduced marijuana to me for the first time. And I was, I was like, what is this? And she's like, oh, it's weed. She's like, I'd rather you smoke it with me than smoke it with anybody out on the streets. Cause at least I know what you're getting. Mm -hmm. And so for whatever reason that made sense. And, and that's when my drug addiction started. And then really you know, shortly after that, you know, I became her pawn and she used me to start stealing cars, robbing houses, stealing from my father. And so that's when my criminal career started. And I ended up, you know, over, over my criminal career, which was um, from, from age pretty much like 11 or 12 until 16, you know, I ended up acquiring 21 felonies. Um, I robbed a store with a handgun when I was, when I was 14, a uh, bunch of grand thefts and burglaries. And, and it was all because of my mom guiding me and leading me down this path. And, and the crazy part is, is the more successful I was at being a criminal and, and getting drugs or getting money for her, the more she would show love and appreciation. And so the more I started to obsess with like getting more money or getting more drugs or being more consistent with like robbing or doing whatever I could just to get her love. And I was on this sick cycle and she was a crack user and, and she would sell herself. And, and so that was, that was like my, my childhood from 14 or excuse me, from, from 11 to 16 um, October 8th, 2001, I, um, I was in a, a high-speed chase. Um, I violated probation. I've already spent two years in juvie at this point, and I was being chased by the police, and we flipped the car, and I was pronounced dead at the scene. And that was October 8th, 2001. I was trauma-hawked to the hospital. I, I pretty much started my sobriety day October 9th, 2001, because that was the next day. I remember vaguely like waking up in the hospital, not really knowing much, not really remembering much. Really, I, the, the first memory I have is a week later, I was literally at the detention facility with my head on the table and some some inmates slammed the table and said, hey, it's it's lunchtime. And I was like, what the heck? How did I get here? Like what? Like I, it was it was it was foggy. I didn't really know how I got there. I don't really remember much. And I got on the phone with my father and he told me what happened and pretty much he disowned me. He was like, I'm, I'm, you're not my son. My son would never do stuff like this. You know, you're, you're going to spend the rest of your life in prison. Don't ever call me again. And I was devastated because at this point I have 21 felonies. I've been in juvie for two years. The state attorney told me, the judge told me if I come back, I'm done. They're going to send me away. 
to a juvenile prison until I turn 18 and send me away for 25 to life. And so that was, that was so wild, man. I was, I was blown away that that's where I was at, you know, at, at age 16. Yeah. That's, that's a lot, dude. Holy cow. Um, what, look, forgive the expression, but to talk about looking down the barrel of a gun. I mean, my God, I, like, so how do you even get your head around that? Like you're in the situation, you're in juvie, you are dealing with some medical issues as a result of the accident. You know, that is a perfect definition for rock bottom, you know? Um, so now like, how do you start to think this has to stop? Like what, and, and what, what resources do you have to help you? I mean, at this point, cause you're incarcerated uh, is it sheer will? I mean, what, what does the next step look like for you? Uh, cause that's, especially at that age, cause listen, I, I know at 16, you could live a lifetime, right? But still you are young comparatively. Like, um, it, it's tough to formulate. I'm not going to say rational thoughts, but life-saving thoughts at 16, I, you know, and I'm not making any judgments. I'm just saying that I know when I was 16, I, I wasn't capable of making tough decisions like now you are faced with i have to change everything i've got to quit or unlearn bad habits learn new habits and i'm in a place that isn't a proponent of those things uh, i'm guessing uh, it's got to be a pretty rough situation now. no you're absolutely right dude and that actually was one of the best things that could have happened for me because it was the first time that the only option i had was surrender and what was cool about it my mother actually found recovery about a year prior. Um, you know, I lost touch with her a after age like 14. I was, I was, you know, cause now I know it's not safe with mom. I'm running away from home. I'm, I'm a full blown addict, you know, in and out of juvie living on the streets. And so I had a really, I lost touch with her. And so when I was in juvie, she came to visit me and they talk about it in recovery. It's attraction, not promotion. My mom's gorgeous. And I've never seen this version of my mom before. And she came barreling into that detention facility with this, like this, this energy and this glow. Mm. And for the first time, I actually felt supported by her. And she had a year in the program and she literally looked me dead in my face. And she said, I'm not going to let my baby go to prison for the rest of his life. And I was crying. And I was like, how the, like, there's nothing you could do at this point. And she's like, she's like, Ryan, I found this program. I'm going to give you a book. And she gave me an Alcoholics Anonymous book. And she said, read this book. And she says, and right now it may be difficult for you to believe or difficult for you to understand. But she says, believe that I believe. And, and you see me. Have you ever seen me like this before? And, and I didn't. I was like so shocked. And like, this was the first time that like I got my mom back. And remember, like my core belief is that I'm never going to measure up to her. I'm never, I'm, you know, I'm never going to get the love that I think I want from her. And so now I'm getting it. And I'm like, holy shit. So like, there's that sense of encouragement as well. And so I, I, I attempted to beat the case. I, I was I was claiming it was an illegal search and seizure and I shouldn't have violated probation, but clearly that didn't work. And my mom fought tooth and nail for me and my probation officer was supporting me. And so the day of sentencing, the state's attorney says, you know, like we mentioned last time, your honor, he's going to spend his juvenile years in a level 10 program, there's there's levels in juvie, it's like level six, level eight, level 10. He's gonna spend the remainder of his juvenile years in a level 10 program. And then we're gonna send him to prison for 25 to life. That's the, the points that he's acquired. That's what his stipulations were. He's violated multiple times. 
21 felonies. This young man does not need to be on the streets. And the judge, it felt like, like 10 minutes. And it was like this pause, this long pause. And I couldn't believe what he said. He was like, you know, Ryan, he said, this is my last day. His name is judge Lindsay. I never found him. I actually looked for him. Um, his name was judge Lindsay. And he said, you know, today's my last day. And for whatever reason, your mother has a compelling story. And, and I understand you have found yourself here. And majority of what is going on was, was done, was done. And it was beyond your control. And he says, I don't think it's in our best interest to put you in prison for the rest of your life. And he gave me one more chance. He sent me to a, a program. Yeah, man, it was, dude, I was shaking. I was crying. He Holy sent me to the it was it was the first moment that I experienced like God entering into my life and like and like that spirit and, and just that that and so what was so cool about it is like I, I mentioned like that was the first time I, I really surrendered because I didn't have a choice. Like I, I have to surrender. Like this is something bigger than me. Like yeah. and I started to develop that relationship with God and and through the 12-step program and and you know, I would go to church on the weekends and and and, and juvie. And that was the first piece of evidence that I needed to show me that there is something bigger than me that has the power to change the trajectory of my life. And that was what I needed. And that's when my recovery journey began. Wow, man. Uh, listen, I think that those, those touched by God moments are so huge. I call them God winks. A lot of people call them God winks. And I, 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 I agree with you. Like it, it couldn't have lined up better for talk about God opening a window. Like that's, uh, that's amazing. So what does the next day look like? You got that reprieve, that opportunity, the God wink, the judge, his last day, all that worked out perfect. I mean, you obviously had started to do the work. You're, you, you did surrender in, in that moment of collapse like that. I had, um, my moment, I'll never forget. It was a rainy day. I was on a walk. The listeners know my story, so I'm not going to you know bore them with it, but I, I didn't know what to do. I had just survived with, uh, an illness that should have killed me as a result of my drinking and drugging. And, and I, I didn't know what to do. So I would just, I just started walking. And I was on this walk and, and there's a point to this. Uh, and the sky opened up just enough to let a beam of light out and hit my face. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those moments like, cause on this walk, I'm like, I, I'm fucked. Like I, I'm going to go back to drinking and drugging. I don't know what to do at this, at that moment. I think I was 13 days clean and sober, but I was in the hospital for 13 days. So it, did it, it counted, but in my mind, I'm like, I'm still a fucking addict. Like, I don't know what to do. And that moment was, you know, God and my family in heaven opening up and saying, you're going to make it just keep fighting. Don't give up. Don't quit. You're going to be fine, but you got to do the work. And those, those moments are, so critically important and i never overlook anything in what i have learned um in my recovery is i am grateful for everything the good the bad the ugly because i believe that those lessons are what prop us up to continue the the heart of the fight you know i i dig that now I, and i i love so what, what's the phrase like you, you, it's not winning and losing it's winning and learning and I and I know that sounds a little cheesy maybe for people listening sometimes but it, it's really true and I'm grateful for the opportunities that are afforded me and sometimes you have to look hard to figure out what what can I learn from this how can I be better because of this what can I do differently than I used to do because my knee-jerk reaction was fuck it let's drink let's party it'll be great no big deal 
you know, take the easy road, the shortcut, all that stuff. And now I, I, I joke with some people, I kind of take the George Costanza approach, just do the opposite. (laughs) And I don't, I'm not trying to make light of it, except that sometimes it's okay to do that. And I, but I dig those life altering, life changing moments of opportunity, like you just described. So now what, man? Like, what do you do now? You have this gift given to you that you, you've earned, right? But seriously, the stars align here. The judge says, not today, one more chance. So you have to be like, oh my God, what, what does the next day look like for you? And so, yeah, it was, it was definitely, um, it was, I, I had such a great time. I got out of juvie when I was 17 um, and I was high on recovery. I was like the poster child of, of Alcoholics Anonymous in yeah. Delray Beach. I was the young, one of the youngest kids that's ever been sober in the town. You know, my mother's in recovery and she, she, she ended up dating a gentleman that had like 10 years. And so like everybody knew my story before I got there. So when I got to recovery, everybody knew me and I, I felt welcomed and I was like high on life. I, I ended up going back to um, this night school and getting my GED and ended up getting my high school diploma. Um, you know, and, and that was, that was such a, a beautiful journey for me because my whole life at that time was all about like giving back to kids in recovery and like teaching kids, you know, that were young, like me, that, 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 that it is possible to recover. And my life was beautiful from 2001 up until 2006. And so I had five years sober and my mother relapsed. Um, my father at the same time, simultaneously was diagnosed with cancer and he had a year to live. And so everything that I went through as a child, all got brought back all those traumas of abandonment and, and being left alone and, and all those fears. And so, you know, my mother ended up never staying sober. She just continued to use and got back in a lot of her old behaviors. My father continued to drink alcohol and so that's when, like, I, I feel my my life took a turn for the worse because now, the the safety net and and the support system that I had is now lo- no longer there. Although I had recovery, but you know, I really wanted my parents, and they were incapable of being that version for me. And so that's when my my commodity career started shortly after, and I um I was engaged at the time. I, I had a, a beautiful fiance, super awesome woman. Um, we were, you know, we were engaged talking about getting married and she, she loved me and adored me to death. I started doing commodities and within the next five years, I'm literally like angry, screaming, viciously, verbally, physically at everybody. Um, I hate myself. I'm, I'm making a ton of money. I'm, I'm using money to, to essentially validate who I am at this point. Greed and ego is like running through me and, and thank God, you know, I feel like I had another God moment. Uh, um, I think it was April, 2012. I was sued by the federal trade commission for $10 million. And yeah, dude, it was really, uh, yeah, I was sued for 10 million. Um, I, I, I got, I got served. I come home and my fiance is like, I don't know who you are. This is not the man that I want to marry. I'm leaving you. She left me. I was at rock bottom. My parents are nowhere to be found. My mother's using my father. My father survived the cancer, but he's still drinking. And I felt like I was all alone. 
And I was because I created that, you know, that was the life that I created. Hmm. And for the first time, I realized that money wasn't the answer. And so I hired a good law firm and a lot of the accusations that they claimed were unfounded, but I knew morally and ethically what I was doing wasn't aligned with who I am and who sober Ryan is or, or who the 12 step program taught me to be. And so it was a gift because I never wanted to do that ever again. And, and, you know, I was granted this, this, this superpower of influence and the superpower of, of helping transform people's lives. And I convinced people to trust me, to give me their hard-earned money. And I put them in aggressive investments that typically don't work out. I was trading options. And I think mm -hmm. like 90% of options expire worthless. And so it's, it's like gambling. And so um, I was able to, to settle the case. Um, and so I took a year off. And that's when like my personal development journey started. Um, I, I went to this place called Onsite in Tennessee in 2013. And it was like a six day program, no phone, no TV, you yourself and your thoughts and your emotions. And I really started to identify for the first time where all of my decisions came from and, and all of the childhood traumas that I went through that caused me to ultimately pick up and ultimately do the things that I was doing. And that's, that's actually when I left. And, and this was an opportunity for me to get my parents, to get my parents sober. Um, my father was drinking. My mother was a drug addict. So I ended up borrowing money from my father to start a drug and alcohol rehab center. You know, he, he partnered in the facility. He wasn't, he didn't trust me at the time. He's like, you know, I'll, I'll go on. I'll be the partner. If you earn your, if you know, you earn your keep and, and you prove yourself to me, you know, maybe we, this can change down the road. And what was so cool about this, that that program actually got both my parents sober again. And so it's so cool because I got to spend five more years with my father before he passed away. And I got to spend two years with my mother before she passed away because of this program. And, and since then, over the last you know, 10 years, I've, I've, I've done close to eight or 9,000 hours of personal development seminars as an attendee and as a facilitator. Um, we have nine facilities in five states, four that are currently operational. We're, we're serving close to 10,000 people a year. And I do personal development seminars every six to eight weeks. I actually have one coming up March 25th and 26th. If, you, if you'd like to come, it's in Delray. It's free. It's a way for me to give back and, and to teach people the skills and the tools that I've learned along the way. And I am extremely grateful. I am blessed beyond anything I could ever imagine to be and have the life that I have today. And it's all designed around serving others and, and spreading the message and living God's will. Wow. What an amazing story, man. Uh, that is spectacular. So what, and forgive me if you said it, I missed yes. it because I was listening. So what, what is the name of your recovery facility facilities? Sure. It's so it's, we level up is the name of it. Yeah. And so that, that brand started in 2019. Um, you know, I was at a Tony, a Tony Robbins seminar and, and I, I started to understand like, what business am I really in? And I'm in the business of transforming people's lifestyles. So it's a lifestyle brand. We level up as a lifestyle brand because that's what I do on a daily basis. And everybody in the organization does and all the patients that come to our program, you know, it's all about leveling, leveling up and, and it's a we program. So 
you know, I, I kind of adopted the we and the level up and, and it was, it just speaks to our heart. And, and I feel like it's, it's aligned with, 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 with our mission. I think it's spectacular. And it, it, so people can attend and they don't have to be in recovery from drugs or alcohol. Anybody can attend to level up their life in any way. Yeah. So we, we serve drug addicts and alcoholics and we serve those that have mental health disorders. You know, mental health is, is such a huge problem these days. And, and, you know, not you know, just just the ability to like regulate your emotions and you really even understand like, OK, I'm feeling this way. I'm feeling anger. OK, why am I feeling anger? Just to connect the dots on that will significantly change somebody's life, because a lot of times people feel emotions and they're like, I don't want to feel this or I don't want to experience this. And then they think there's something wrong with them because they're experiencing something they don't want to experience. Well, if you give them just some insights on what's actually going on so they can recognize it, then they understand like everything's OK. Because really, like I talked about earlier, the unconscious mind is constantly looking to keep you alive, is constantly looking to protect you. And as soon as you can feed your mind that everything is going to be okay, everything calms down. There's there's a moment of peace. There's a moment of serenity. I'm with you on that. I have uh, one of the tools that I have learned and, and that I use is if I'm feeling uh, emotional, powerless, agitated, triggered, whatever it might be, uh, I have a couple of rules. No major decisions. No major <laughs> decisions. Uh, it doesn't matter what that is. I can't start something brand new. I can't end something that's existing. Just stay put. So no major decisions. Stay put. Write it out. And, and, and feel it. Like I intentionally feel it. And know that some. I never really know. Is this going to be a couple hour ride? Is this going to be a full day? Is it going to be two days? And it depends, right? I, and sometimes I have to really think like, why am I feeling this? How was I triggered? And sometimes it's as stupid as a song that I heard that put me back mentally to a place I was when something bad happened or something like that. Uh, or um, I'm not going to say feeling sorry for myself, but sometimes there are hard days or a string of hard days and I feel like I need a break. So at the addict in me, my old, my break was drink and drug and make it go away, hide the emotions, find the fun, all of that. And I find myself trying to mentally run to that. And those are the moments where, and you'll get this, but you know how you feel like that, uh, that vibrating buzzy feeling in your body. Cause you're so, you don't know what to do with yourself. You just know you have to do something. Yeah. And what I used to do is to do something right. And now the do nothing part works. I read, I stay calm. I go do a workout. I take a walk, I box, I have alternative options. So I 100% get what you're talking about when you have to learn the off ramps for me. I, I, my off ramps used to be all the bad stuff, you know, and I was, and I suppose I still am, but I, I try to curb it, right? I ego driven. I try, had to be the center of attention. I would say whatever I had to say to get people to like me because that was the most important thing. And the quality and depth of relationship didn't mean anything to me. It was the number of people I had around me and stuff like that. And I had to learn that that's all bullshit. Like I, at the end of the day, what I have discovered over five years, uh, nearly five years, is I'm an introvert which is insane for me to say that out loud because <laughs> my whole life has been spent being extroverted and loud and trying to be the center of attention and all of that stuff. So I, I get exactly what you're saying. I love that you're giving back. I love that you're helping people. And I, I'm impressed 
as a fellow addict, for everything that you've accomplished um, with the cards that you were dealt, man, talk about sticking with it and and making lemonade out of some lemons, dude. This is really impressive, Ryan, and um, it's been a joy having you on the show. Dude, I appreciate more than appreciate you more than you know, man. I love what you're doing, and and it, I understand the journey what you've had to go through to get here. And and I honor you for what you're doing and, and spreading the message and wanting to impact and change people's lives. And, and I'm honored to know you, man. And if there's anything you can, you ever need from me, if there's anybody that's suffering, you know, with drugs or alcohol or has mental health illnesses, you know, I'm, I'm a phone call away. We, we provide scholarship programs for those that are indigent that, that, you know, really want to get help. And, you know, there's a process that we go through, but, you know, we have at least, five to 10 scholarships in our care um, every month. We do the personal development seminars every you know, six to eight weeks. It's it's open to the public. Anybody's willing to come. You can follow me on my Instagram, ryan.zofe. We promote it there. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, um, there's a link that you can sign up. Um, and, and yeah, man, I'm, I'm honored to, to, to be here with you, brother. And thank you so much. It has absolutely been my pleasure. And every way to find you is gonna be in the show notes. So anyone listening can just go to the show notes, click on your website, and I'll have all the links that you need, you know, derivative of the website. So Ryan, it has been awesome to have you on the show. Great to know you. And I wish you nothing but amazing success in the future, brother. Thank you, my dude. I appreciate you.